Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. If it's your first time listening, here's how we do things. My name is Darius Cook, as always, and I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen, and you enjoy. For today, we're going to be going through part four of Money Heist. If you have been listening, you already know that we've gone through through seasons one, two, and three. Now it's part four. You bet your bottom dollar we're going to come back with part five. But for now, we're doing part four. Let's get into it. Let's go ahead and roll the intro. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. So picking things up right into part four, the most previous events that happened at the close of part three was when Nairobi got shot. She was lured into a trap by the new inspector under the guise that she was looking at her her child, whom she hadn't seen in many years. And just as she got that, you know, very sad moment, that moment where she's just looking at her child, he's okay, he's okay, that's when she gets shot. So picking up into part four, we're dealing with the aftermath of that event. At this point, Tokyo has completely taken over. She is, like, taking command of the entire heist crew. This is because Palermo has really just been slipping his sanity a little bit, losing credibility and trust with all his fellow members. And especially after this happens with Nairobi, he he really just kind of has gone off the deep end with his calls. And Tokyo is just completely taking control. She's taking control of the surgery and everything. So we really see we really see Tokyo step up in a big way. There is a couple flashbacks in part three that let you know that she had been considered being the leader. And that's just an emotion that she's kind of messed with a little bit. I don't know that Tokyo has established full-on trust to be the outright leader, but in this season, we really see her step up in that direction. Not only is Tokyo able to take command of this situation and, and start barking out orders and keeping everyone calm after she just like lit off a freaking bazooka, but she's also able to successfully perform the surgery. She's had some prep before going into this. The professor did prepare them to some degree that they all might have to operate on somebody in this situation. However, she has no real experience doing this. Uh, at first, she's being guided by a doctor, uh, seemingly in India. Uh, this is hooked up by the professor. They do have telecommunications with a little bit of a group outside. But that's quickly thwarted uh, by the police team. And they cut off her communications and... She has to pull out that W herself, and it's just a very impressive moment for Tokyo, where before in the previous couple parts, what we've seen from her is just a loose cannon, just somebody who's going to rock it off in any direction without much thought. It's nice to see her really take control of herself and her team. In episode two, we get a flashback, and this flashback works as a visual metaphor. It's one of my favorite usages of the flashbacks this entire part, but basically it, it... It takes a look back at their time leading up to this heist, you know, going to go get Rio, and you see them all playing a soccer match. We, The show loves to cut back to these humanizing scenes, and you see these people growing closer as a family and a group and all that good stuff. But what we see in the soccer match is narrated by Tokyo. She says that Palermo is an amazing leader, but he's not a great team player. And I think that that was a great way to just quantify exactly what Palermo's role is because when he is on your side and when he is leading in the same direction that you want to be following he is amazing he's amazingly capable 
And honestly, he, he just pops more than any other character. But he isn't always on your side. And he's just not a great team player. He's kind of a loose cannon. He's unpredictable and all that other stuff, as we see throughout the season. However, what we see, as soon as Tokyo kind of has taken control, she's launched her coup, he gets dressed up in a suit and is just about to leave the high salt together. He's basically a big old baby who's just about to quit and, quit and walk away from this whole situation. Of course, that leads up to a very intense standoff between Tokyo and Palermo, where she's not letting him do that. She will rather blow his head off before he walks out right then and there. Of course, the power dynamic slowly starts to shift. You know, we see Palermo trying to take, call Helsinki into action on his side, but Helsinki stands his ground, which this is kind of the first time we see him do that. Whether it be Berlin or Palermo, Helsinki is just kind of always taking orders. But in this case, he starts to make decisions for himself. The ty- a type of behavior that we see a lot more from him. I actually feel like season four is the season where Helsinki really gets to flourish. We've seen his character shine here and there and get great moments to really understand how sweet of a character that he is. But he really comes into his own throughout the season. And this is the most development we- that we get for him. Palermo ends up getting tied up and spends his time with the hostages for the next couple of episodes. Of course, Palermo being the chaotic threat that he is, he ends up uh, organizing his own stuff with the hostages, but we'll circle back to that a little bit later. This is also where we start to get some drama development between uh, Denver and Monica. And basically, a bad side of Denver starts to show throughout this heist. You know, tensions are high, pressure's high, and there's a lot going on. And you see Denver start to crack a little bit. He starts to get a little bit more physically violent with the hostages, especially Arturo. And Arturo's presence just in the overall heist at this moment is really throwing a wrench into their relationship in a way. And what we see from Monica... I wish that they leaned a little bit more in the direction of her toying with the fact that she might have actually been under some spell of a Stockholm syndrome this whole this whole time and is just now starting to kind of see that now that she's surrounded by others again and with him. They didn't they kind of alluded to that at first, but they never really did anything with that kind of thought. All of a sudden, she just feels like she can't recognize Denver. She doesn't like the person he's become. And for the rest of the season, they're kind of just missing each other. They're not on the same page. And I feel like it's all due to just miscommunications. I really don't like that in media whenever whatever the conflict is between a couple is just because they both weren't able to articulate their experience a little bit better. And that's kind of what we see here, at least between as far as the relationship goes, just in the way from Denver to Monica. Now, throughout the season, it starts to get a little bit more complicated when Rio starts to open up to Monica about his trauma and his torture and all of that, all of his experiences, he finds Monica to be a very safe place for him to recount those experiences and kind of just emote that with her. And of course, that leads to a somewhat physical relationship just in the way of hugging and physical comfort. But Berlin being, excuse me, Denver being Denver doesn't really see that value and he doesn't understand why that might be needed or ever allowed in a casual relationship that wasn't anything romantic and so of course he spends the season thinking that there's something going on between them and feeling betrayed by his friend Rio and his life partner Monica so it's interesting to see him toy with those emotions where he lands by the end of the season is a very mature place and I I do appreciate that little journey that they took him down 
that being said, it, again, it all comes down to miscommunication and misinterpretations. And I just really feel like those are the most annoying plot lines to work with, especially as it pertains to romantic relationships. Cutting back over to the main events, we see Tokyo and the professor uh, start to have a conversation. This is the first time they've talked since Tokyo's kind of taken over. He's just getting caught up here. And he initially is very upset uh, that Tokyo took over. He, he feels like it's going to throw the plan just completely awry. At this point, Palermo has been taken off the board. Nairobi has been taken off the board. And to the professor's knowledge, so has Lisbon. Keep in, fa- keep in mind that just, ap- just before this episode, we saw Lisbon's fake murder. And it was, uh, it was actually a ploy staged on the professor to convince him that his girl was dead and really demoralize him. This plan completely worked. And really, when you think about it, Palermo... Palermo, Nairobi, and Lisbon all being taken off the board is a significant hit. Those are essentially, I mean, Lisbon's the brains behind the operations. Palermo knows the plan better than anyone, and he's one of the most capable people. And Nairobi, over part one, two, and three, we've seen her prove that she's an invaluable member to the team. She's the motivator. She's the mother. She keeps things moving. She's the voice of reason. So having having all three of these people off the board of course, overwhelms Professor, and for the first time, we see him actually start to speak language of wanting to just give up, you know? I don't think we can win this battle. We should just turn it in. And what we see is Tokyo kind of take up the, start taking up more of the heavy lifting all of a sudden. It's really to see this, it's really nice to see this from her character. And she basically says to him that you've been my guardian angel all this time. And that is the type of language that she's used all the way back to from the first episode when she's about to get banged up by the police. He pulls up and she says, there he was, my guardian angel. And we see that reference multiple times throughout the series. But in this moment, she says, now it's my turn to be your guardian angel. And we see the professor kind of break down and he's, as he's really recounting the situation of Lisbon's death to her. And what's really, what's really cool to see is a big moment from Tokyo again demonstrating her value in a huge way. She listens, and she listens objectively instead of emotionally, something the professor usually does, but of course he wasn't able to because he's too close to the situation. So Tokyo has picked up a few tricks from the professor over all this time, and she's able to kind of listen, listen out for those little cues that imply, wait a minute, are you sure that Lisbon's dead? Did you see a body? It sounds like, why would they do that? You know, she can kind of, because she's not as close to Lisbon as the professor is, She's able to look at it with a little bit of a clearer head and say, I don't think he's dead, Professor. This immediately makes perfect sense to him, and this is just what he needed, this call to action. Nairobi's not dead yet. Palermo's not dead. He's still around, and he might have a plan to get him back in the mix, and for the first time, he has hope that Lisbon might be dead. There's hope yet. The The game's not over. Now, this leads to such a dynamic scene, and this is in episode three. Now, this plays out between the professor and Marcelli, his, his, his partner that's also outside of the heist. Also, by the way, this is a great opportunity to just say that Marcelli is absolutely the MVP of this team. This dude is driving motorcycles across countries, and he's, he's flying helicopters at the end of this. He can get in fights. He does acting, distraction, intel. He does it all. Marcelli is seriously the MVP of this season in this entire heist, like... He is necessary for all of this to have worked out. But anyways, the professor, after hearing this information and, and feeling like Lisbon is alive, he, he wants to change the plan a little bit to go basically protect her. 
you know, this his plot has changed from avenging his wife to protecting his wife, and he needs to get over there to do it. However, Marcelli respects the plan, and he respects the professor, and he's not going to let him go that easily. So what we actually see is them start to argue and eventually actually go to blows between each other, physically fighting over what they think is the best thing to do in the situation. Now, while this is happening, we're also getting cuts back over to the police tent where Lisbon and the new inspector are just duking it out. She's trying to get information out of her. Lisbon was the previous inspector, so she obviously knows all of her tricks. And I have to say, some of what we lost between Lisbon versus the professor in the first couple of seasons, you know, that dynamic, that dance between those two characters, not having that around was a significant blow. But making it the new inspector versus Lisbon for this full season, we really don't see the inspector versus professor. We see Lisbon versus the inspector. That dynamic is really electric. It really pops off. And them going to blows with each other, it's just like looking at two titans really just face off. And those scenes were all just handled really well. And it comes down to the performances. The actor for Raquel Lisbon is just fantastic and consistent. And she holds her cards to her chest. And the new inspector, that actress, is just phenomenal. She's terrifying in every in every sense of the word. And visually, she really pops off screen as this lollipop-loving, pregnant, psychopath killer who's going to get what she wants. <laughs> Once the professor is able to make it through Marcelli and get him on board with this new plan, what we see is such a cool scene after this. This is another big Batman moment for the professor, of which we're starting to get plenty of. Those th- the, those sick kind of badass moments from the professor are usually relegated to just, you know, chess moves uh, in this overall game. But as the series goes by, we get delivered more and more versions of him being out in the field and really pulling off crazy things. This comes in the way of, so at this point, he has a, suspect, a suspicion that Lisbon is still alive, but he needs to confirm it. He can't just go off of a hunch. So he actually goes to the scene of the crime. He's out in front of the heist amongst the protesters, disguised as one of the protesters. And as he's doing this, he basically starts to look around to collect information. And he sees the bus that must have been in that same area. He basically collects all these little bits of information that all but confirm to him that Lisbon must be on the other side of that tent. And now it's up to him to launch some kind of attack to to make her know that she is he still has her back. So that's what we see him kind of focusing on in the next couple of episodes. One thing that should be noted is that throughout this entire season, we're seeing a lot more of these flashbacks with Berlin. Now, the show has always given us flashbacks to the characters as they're planning the heist. But this one's a little this season's a little unique because we're getting the real time story in the heist. We're getting the flashbacks to our main group planning this specific heist. But then what we're also getting is even further flashbacks of the Professor, Berlin, Marcelli, and and Palermo. And this is them kind of just talking about the heist. This is very early stages kind of planning it and whatnot. And the main narrative of this flashback is, you know, planning the heist, going over those minute details, giving us another way to understand how they had thought of this ahead of time. But the B plot of this plot, I know this is getting very convoluted here, is you're seeing the relationship between Palermo and Berlin, which is such a meaty one, especially in the last few episodes of the season when you really get to see the layers of it and what's really happening between the two of them. It's really crazy. And at first, I was really critical of getting this type of flashback. It kind of feels like 
when are we going to stop telling Berlin stories, you know? Berlin was an awesome character, and he makes a strong impact, but I don't know if he made such a strong impact that I need to continue to see him for every single episode throughout the series. And I do stand by that criticism to a certain extent, but it kind of all becomes worth it when we see that crazy impactful scene, and it's between Palermo and Berlin, and it's a it's a long scene, too. They don't pull their punches here. And, uh, yeah, it's, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in terms of the plot line here, but I'm just going to jump into it. Palermo and Berlin. I mean, Palermo basically is obsessed with Berlin. He's completely in love with him, and he will do anything for him and be right there for him. And this is even while Berlin has his wife, Catalina, who also hasn't played a major part in the series yet. I'm assuming she's going to come in in part five somehow, but that's besides the point. And basically, Berlin's trying to tell Palermo, you need to get over me. Like, you need to do whatever it is you need to do. I think that our relationship is beautiful, but I can't reciprocate the feelings for you that you have for me. And I will say there's a little bit of a confusing nature to their relationship. Berlin even says that he has love for him more than he does anyone else. But I think what it comes down to is that Berlin, he might be a little bi, but he really, basically, he can't be sexually completely attracted to Berlamo. I think that's what's happening here, where he kind of wants to, but his sexual attraction just lies stronger in the direction of females, that that's kind of why he chooses that path, because he continues to say it's impossible. Another layer that could be read into this, the nature of this relationship is that because Berlin knows that he's going to die soon, that he refuses to have a full-on relationship with Palermo because he loves him so much, that he refuses to break his heart in that way, like further even break his heart when he has to be gone and they have like a good relationship. It, I'm Now that I think about it, I think that that's my preferred read on the situation. And he spends his time with this Catalina character perhaps because he doesn't love her truly as much as Palermo. I don't know. I could be reaching, but I think that's a bit of the layers that's being implied here. But that 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 moment is really necessary for us to get back on board with Palermo because he spends the first half of the season just fucking shit up. And then, <laughs> and then in the second half, he does start to get a little bit more redemption and you see his character break down a little bit. But speaking of Palermo fucking shit up in the first half, that's what we're getting into next here. I know, quality transition, right? So now that he's locked up or he's tied up along with the rest of the hostages, he starts scooching over to the security team, the one that we saw at the beginning of part three. They didn't do too much in part three except for continue to swear at all the all the hostages, the captors, that he's going to kill them or gruesomely destroy them in whatever way, shape, or form. But really, they've been just iced up until this point, and Palermo ends up whispering in Agent Gandia's ear that, you know, you can actually dislocate your thumb and kind of slip out of those handcuffs. Now, this is the worst thing that Palermo has ever done. This moment right here is just the inciting event that honestly is what the narrative shifts to being about completely in the second half of the season. I mean, this, this ends up still in the entire light. Gandia escapes, and this is a problem because not only is Gandia a capable security officer who's the head of security for this entire bank, so he feels a duty to protect everyone, but he's a fucking maniac. <laughs> he he perhaps even revels in the opportunity to take everybody down in, at this point, and what he becomes after that is just a one-man army 
that is hell-bent on taking down our team, and he's very successful in doing that. He almost kills Helsinki by hanging him. He captures Tokyo and borderline tortures her for, I'm not sure quite how long, but keeps her captured for a very long time. And honestly, he holds his own in a complete shootout amongst like seven of our people all at once. <laughs> the The biggest impact he had, in my opinion, okay, not the biggest impact, but one of the biggest moments was we see Berlin and Rio arguing in the hallway as they're looking for Gandia. And this is the height of their little argument. Um, they finally get on the same page after this. But this is Ber- this. I keep saying Berlin, I feel like, but I mean Denver. This is the moment where Denver is really trying to confront Rio about what's going on between him and Monica. And Rio, for the first time, is getting to communicate to Denver that it's not like that. It has to do with my trauma. Like, I, I don't I'm not trying to take her from you or anything like that. And just at the climax of their conversation, they get into the elevator. And as soon as it closes in the foreground, you see Gandia step into the view and he just rolls a grenade right into their little elevator. And this was a really cool scene just direction wise and just the cinematography of it had a really strong impact on me. As you see, Denver and Rio immediately scramble to find some kind of solution, you know, put put the helmet on top of it, put the gear all on it and, you know, suffocate the blow as much as possible. And they even pile up on top of each other. It was just a really strong scene to see how quickly they cut the bullshit, even though they were arguing. They are soldiers together at the end of the day. And when they need to, they jump right into action. And that's actually kind of a point that I want to praise this entire season for is at least in terms of writing, acting, directing, cinematography, all of that stuff, this season is the strongest season. And I think that I think that for sure. It's very sharp, it's very pointed. Now, I don't th- I do think that this season is also the most unnecessary season. I do stand by my critique that this entire second heist was designed to keep this cash cow moving for Netflix. However, just because that is the case coming into it, because, you know, there's all these characters and they've even alluded to or anything like that. It's a big character that we still haven't even been introduced to at this point. But it, it just it, the circumstances are just unnecessary. Right. That being said, with everything that the season delivers, it really is the strongest season. And I'm so happy that they continue to flesh these characters out and grow with them and kind of grow with this type of narrative and storytelling. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but this entire time, Nairobi has been basically in, an, in a coma. Uh, something weird that this show does in every season is once somebody, quote unquote, dies, it takes them forever to die. But I'll get back to that a little bit later. The first thing that Gandia does once he was freed was actually go to suffocate Nairobi, who had just awoken. Like, literally, she's minutes fresh off of being awake for the first time after... I'm not quite sure how long in this coma, but at least a day or two. And immediately she's fighting back like a fierce animal. I love Nairobi. She basically has no vantage point to, to to pull one out from under him, but she is not giving up. And she does make it through this little interaction. And she largely due to her ability to fight back no matter what. And we see that again and again throughout the season as well. Right after that, we get one of the weirdest scenes that this show has decided to go for, though I'm happy they did it, and overall the way they handled it was well, and that's in the way of Arturo. So we see Arturo actually offering these um, anxiety medications, and they're really sedatives. Uh, We've seen him offering them to multiple people while he's been back in the high situation, and 
I didn't quite realize that this was happening the first time around, but once they call him out on it, it's pretty obvious. But he essentially just gave strong sedatives to this another character named Amanda, and he raped her. Um, yeah, he just he actually just molested her. Uh, and what's interesting is when you really look at the character of Arturo, if you follow his his character all the way back from part one, he does have this ability to to fixate on a weak link and kind of take advantage of them. And that's what he did with Amanda here. He does get his comeuppets a few episodes later when all the hostages are standing around and he's kind of bothering her again. And she just calls him out on it. He, she's just like, you raped me. You gave me sedatives and you raped me. And other people were offered these sedatives. So the story tracks. He immediately is turned on by all the other hostages and he is the villain again. You know, I was hoping, you know, at the beginning of season three, if you listen to my review, you'll even hear me say this. I thought that Arturo's character had some room to grow. I was excited for him to kind of come around. You know, he, he does try to be heroic and stuff, you know. I thought he was a complex character with layers that we would have been able to root for in the end. But as as <laughs> a counter to my prediction, uh, Arturo remains to be the piece of shit that he seems to be. And that's where we leave his character for this season. Yeah. Now might be a good time to talk about one of the characters they introduced in this season, and her name is Manila. Manila knew Berlin from the past. Berlin. Uh, why do I keep getting Berlin and Denver mixed up? Why do I do that? I'm not sure. M- <laughs> Melina knew Denver and Moscow in the past. Basically, their parent, Moscow, and her dad were old buddies that did crime together, and, and because of that, she, uh, she grew up with Berlin. That being said, uh, Melina is a trans character, so the last time that Denver saw her, uh, she was a boy, uh, from his perception, of course. And I do really like this character. They introduced this person not even at the beginning of Part 4, like halfway through it. And I think that's a crazy choice to still be introducing like main characters at this point. That being said, she works. like she She instantly becomes one of the most interesting characters there. And just by looking at her presence alone, just with her facial acting in the background, you know how capable and competent she is. She just radiates badass. And and I'm just excited to see what they do with her in the next season because she still doesn't really get that much to do here. All they do is just establish that she is undercover as a hostage. They establish a previous relationship with her and how she ended up joining this heist. But... Other than that, it's just tension. Like she, They don't use her to develop any plot line whatsoever, which is just a weird choice. I, I do think it would be a small critique on this show's behalf if they were just including her just to tick that box of having diverse characters. I think it's awesome to have as much diverse characters as possible and represent as many type of characters as you can. But in a narrative like this, it at least has to mean something. You know what I mean? And... I guess, to to their credit, the greatest effect that they do use this character for is it's a flashback scene once she's joined the group and you're seeing her kind of talk to Denver. And Denver just has some questions. I will say Denver's approach to asking these questions, it's it's very well done. Um, they, they make Denver curious, but they don't make him a dumbass. And they don't, they don't devalue him so much that he's insulting or offensive or in any way. He is genuinely curious, especially given his close relationship with this character in the past. How long have you felt this way? What does this mean for that? How does this affect that? He's He approaches it just from a curiosity standpoint, 
and therefore he's able to keep his good boy natured energy. And I actually feel like the conversation that they had with uh, those two characters was even helpful for me to hear just in terms of understanding a trans point of view a little bit more, if that makes sense. So for that alone, kudos to the show for including this character and having a positive and productive conversation around that. However, I still think narratively that I hope I just hope this character ends up having more to do. By the end of this season, we see this character kind of join uh, our main group. She's no longer hiding as a hostage and she has a gun in her hand. So it seems like there is a promise that she will be more prominent and more impactful in the next and final part. All right. Now let's go over the rest of Nairobi's plot for this season. So. Now that she's awake, she survived the strangle attempt from Gandia, and the first thing she does is go straight to the coal mines where the gold's being made, baby. And doing what Nairobi does best, this time from a wheelchair, she's like, what's going on here? Why is the productivity so low? Get to work, get to work. And she also motivates them to not be fearful. You know, get back to work. Don't just sit here and wait around for Gandia to maybe roll up. He's probably not even looking for you, and there's only one point of entry. So... She talks sense to her team. She re-inspires them a little bit. And she just, for, we get a quick reminder of what Nairobi's role for the overall team is. Of course, we've seen that display time and time out throughout the series. But given the fact that the first few episodes she was unconscious, you know, she was assumably dead at the end of last season. And now she's just now back and rolling. And if you're listening to this, you know where she ends in the, where she ends at the end of the season. It was nice to get another quick moment of her just doing her thing before shit hits the, the fan again. Promptly, promptly after leaving the scene, we see a big interaction between her and Bogota. We actually haven't talked about Bogota too much, not in my reviews, because he is one of the newer characters and he doesn't really have that much to do. He's described as being an expert blacksmith and he is an integral part to getting the money, but as a character, we don't really get to know him. Any scene that he's in, he's just kind of there. And uh, it was revealed early on that he's in love with Nairobi, which set up that interesting love triangle or square between he loves Nairobi, Nairobi loves Helsinki, Helsinki loves Palermo, and Palermo loves nobody. So uh, that's an interesting dynamic they set up early on. But again, they never really do anything with it. They just say that he loves Nairobi. We see him looking at her and being sad when she's shot and everything. But as far as any actual plot development, there's nothing there. However, now that Nairobi's back awake and everything, after she leaves her team to motivate them, uh, they actually end up professing their feelings for each other, and Nairobi reciprocates it for the first time. And then they start making out in the elevator. Nice, my boy got it in. Nice W for the homie. But again, I don't feel like their relationship is necessarily earned. Of course, Bogota, he does strike as a positive character, though. So it's nice to see him get that W. And Nairobi finally embracing a form of love is equally rewarding. And I do appreciate that for her character. Meanwhile, Gandia is still on the loose. And he's got a vendetta out for everybody. And what he effectively ends up doing, because he has this bunker where he's hiding Tokyo and can kind of see what's going on around the entire building... What he ends up doing is separating all of the members. He'll, he started by attacking Helsinki, as I mentioned before, which as Helsinki's being strangled, that's a call to action for people to come help. Bogota goes to help him, which leaves Nairobi alone. Now, Nairobi's not just a sitting duck. She's going to sit at the, at the 
in a room facing the door with a gun ready to pop off. What she didn't expect, though, is while she was alone, for Gandia to sneak in through the vents and attack her. And this leads to probably the biggest event of the entire season, and where there's a standoff where Gandia has Nairobi alone in this room, and everybody else ends up knowing about this, and they're on the other side of the room. They want to get Nairobi back. And it's a re- it's really a standoff that lasts the length of a full episode, where they're negotiating, they're freaking out. Gandia's like, if you guys come in here, I'm going to blow her brains out. And, and all this stuff, we even see Rio and Denver try to sneak in through the vents to try to, you know, get ahead of him a little bit. But Gandia, being the powerful badass he is, uses a, a broken piece of glass to see his angles and, and he knows right away that they're coming. I have to say Gandia is a really cool character, much like how the professor never misses and he always knows what's going on and always has a plan for something. Gandia is always able to think on his feet and he's he's essentially an excellent soldier the fact that he it's him against like 10 other people and he continues to stay fairly in the lead is just a credit to how intense and uh, overwhelmingly powerful he is as an individual there's also an interesting layer to him if you if we're talking about morality and who's a good character who's a bad character you know he's the head of security it's his job to protect the bank and the people in the bank at this point he has he he he's justified in my opinion. I don't think you know. Maybe he does revel in the violence a little bit, but this is from the point of view of somebody who feels like his life is being threatened, as well as all the lives of the people around him right now. From his point of view, he's facing the bad guys. So I actually don't think that you can really, you can't really shame him for any of the actions he takes, even when he does end up killing Nairobi later in this episode. I think that his actions are actually justified, which is just another complicated layer to the series where our good guys might be our good guys because we follow them and they're the protagonists and they don't want to do harm. But at the end of the day, they are putting everybody here's lives in danger and they are doing crime. So you, you can't really blame people for trying to fight back against them. But yeah, at the end of this negotiation, we get the most heartbreaking scene yet as Gandia professes... I told you I would kill you, and he puts a bullet right through Nairobi's brain. He does her in, which there's no debating it now. There's no dying slowly. Nairobi is dead, dead. Um, certainly the biggest hit that we've had to take throughout the series so far. At this point, the narrative shifts focus just a little bit as we get the epic retrieval of Lisbon. Yes, the professor had a contingency plan all along. This guy stays busy, and boy are his arms tired. But he basically, uh, he constructs a group that, like a ragtag group of people. And the main person that he employs here is Melina's father, the one who was alluded to for, uh, a little earlier. And he gets this ragtag group and led by Marcelli, he's able to, to devise the perfect plan to kind of just switch, switch Lisbon out with a lookalike and completely fool the police and everybody involved. And next thing they know, they have Lisbon back. And what's really impressive is the the way that they launch the assault onto the building and they really play with perspective here. The professor, amongst other things, is a, a magician as well. And he fools everyone around and without anyone realizing, all of a sudden, Lisbon is inside of the heist building, which is a great moment of triumph. And as soon as she gets there, she proclaims, we're going to do this for Nairobi. For Nairobi, everyone yells in, in agreement and... It really marks a, a strong foundation to move forward from that this is our group. We are solid. 
We we just suffered a heavy blow, but now that we're all back together, we can move forward strong and united. Now, this attack that the professor launches is also coupled by a few different missiles that he launches as well. The first of that being that he releases a tape from Rio, basically recounting all of his experiences while being tortured. Now, what this does is continue to get the public on the side of the Dali gang, we'll call them for now. And that's actually one thing that I keep forgetting to mention in these reviews is in seasons one and two, they kept making this big promise of we have to get the public on our side. And that was something that we never really saw in season one and two. It's something they said a lot, but we never saw it. Right. But at the beginning of this heist and throughout the entire heist, you know, season three, four, and I will assume five is the public is completely on their side. And the professor continues to masterfully cultivate that point of view. And again, it's just a big promise that they made. Like that's something that they need. But again, it's just something it's something that we never saw until we get to these seasons where they really make good on that promise. So that does get the public on their side just a bit. But the final nail in the coffin is basically the professor releases proof that the new inspector launched a fake killing on Lisbon. But what they don't realize the public, what doesn't matter to the public is whether or not this was fake or not. Both are inexcusable, and this puts the government under intense fire. What this ends up doing is actually crumbling the entire investigation team as as the new inspector is supposed to just fall on her sword and take the blame for all of these misgivings. Of course, we know the inspector, the new inspector well enough to know that she ain't just going to sit by and let that happen to her. So she she goes out publicly and takes the entire government with her. They all knew it happened. They they ordered me to do it. I I'm just a pawn in this in this overall plan to torture Rio and do all of these crazy things. So with one fell swoop, our team now has the significant advantage, especially as it pertains to the public's per, uh, perception of their team. Now, our team definitely needed this kind of W after losing Nairobi. Now, what we see for the rest of this season, basically heading into the conclusion of this arc, is while all this is happening, while the professor is freeing Lisbon and Lisbon is reuniting with our team and they're using Gandhi as a pawn in all of this, what's also happening at the same time is because the new inspector has, you know, given up, she's not given up, but she's been taken out of this police situation now that she's taken the government down with her she's on the lamb she finds herself in the same position that lisbon found herself at the end of part two which is she's she's looked at as a traitor now uh that being said whereas lisbon actually did start to switch sides the the new inspector is hell-bent on taking down the dollies and what we see from her is somebody who is devoid of any any uh, official holdings, you know, she doesn't have to go through the police lines because she kind of lost her badge in a way. And now she's, you know, holding guns to people's heads to get the information that she wants. And like a, like a bloodthirsty hound, she, she gets on the scent of the professor so quickly and she just terrifyingly catches up to him. What we see in the final conclusion of the series is as soon as they did get Lisbon back, you know, we're rejoicing in that W for the professor. He turns around to the new inspector with a gun to his head and she seemingly has him completely cornered. And that's actually where we finish off the season here. Now let's talk about a couple predictions for part five. Is it possible that the professor can turn the new inspector on his side too? I mean, is that possible at this point? 
Also, she's pregnant as all hell. Is she about to pop this baby out soon? How is that going to complicate things as well? At this point, I actually don't know how the professor will get out of this situation. I I don't see her easing off unless he can kind of convince her, hey, you're going to jail no matter what at this point. Even if you turn me in, the government's not going to give you any favors. Maybe, maybe working with the professor is her best option, especially for her new baby. I don't know. We could see something like that happen. As a matter of fact, I'm starting to picture a situation where she has her baby, but then she goes to jail, but then she, like, asks the professor in Lisbon to take her baby to a remote island somewhere? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching here. Another moment that we're left off on right before the very end of this part is between Helsinki and Palermo. And this is after we've seen the flashback between Palermo and Berlin. So we... We have a, a much fuller picture of what Palermo's character is and what he's been through. And I actually think that this message is one of the more poignant ones that they communicate throughout the season. And one that I actually don't feel like I've ever had communicated to me from another series. So, so poignant as this. And it's that Palermo knows what misery can do. And if you sit in that misery too long, it can turn you basically into a monster. And He's sitting there with with Helsinki just telling him, you know, don't don't fixate on this too much, because what we've seen is Helsinki really just start to hate Gandia for what he did. And they need to keep Gandia alive for now. So he isn't able to get his vindication. And you see that hatred kind of turn Helsinki a little bit, start to give him a nasty color in his mouth, whereas he's always been this bundle of joy and forgiveness and light before now his best friend was taken from him and he has to look the the man in the eye who took him took him away from took her away from him but again i you know palermo has been such a wild card throughout this season he's he was on our team against us intensely wild card and then at the end of the season he's on our team again right but it's it's these it's this moment that he communicates with helsinki that kind of brings his character full circle He's able to embrace the love and the feelings that he's had for Helsinki up to this point. And again, as he says, don't let that misery take you over and that despair because it can bring you into a pit where you lose yourself and you don't even recognize yourself anymore. And what what Helsinki reflects back to him is, I've always known who you were, Palermo. Such a sweet sentiment and it just shows how much of a teddy bear Helsinki really is and how much love he's capable of having. And I do think that that love kind of comes from Nairobi, seeing what Nairobi is able to give to everyone around her. She's a mother figure to everyone she touches. And and seeing that reflected back to Palermo was a really nice moment. I don't think Palermo's off the hook yet. I, he is responsible for Nairobi dying, in my opinion. So they're going to have to do more with this character to build him back up. But the, starting here, I think this is a great point to grow with Palermo in a positive way where we can you know, hopefully stick the landing with his character in a in just a great way. I'm also really excited to see what's in store for Lisbon now that she's finally on the inside of a heist for the first time, something we've certainly never seen from this character. She's always been behind the scenes. So I'm excited to see her maybe take a bit more of a leadership role. It seems like that's where her character is headed. And the most the character I'm most excited to get some closure on is Tokyo. At this point, her and Rio aren't together. And I actually appreciate that for a majority of part four, we don't see them interact much. They actually allowed those characters to be fleshed out on their own. Whereas in the first like three seasons, 
we hadn't seen those characters without one another and their plots were so intrinsically tied to one another. It's nice that we saw these characters breathe on their own and I think that both characters are better for it. That being said, I don't think this show is going to end without the two of them going off together. I think that they're still going to be endgame. So I'm excited to see where this new competent leadership type Tokyo takes us into part five, where we're going to land with Rio. You know, where is his future? Because right now he's like a wounded bird. He's received so much trauma and he hasn't fully recovered from that yet. Maybe never will. I'm just excited to see where they send these characters off at the end of all these events. How quickly will we get through this heist? I don't know. We'll see what happens with part five. I'm super excited to get into it. I'm going to start it immediately after I'm done recording and editing this episode. And if you made it this far, guys, thank you so much for giving my podcast a listen. I do really appreciate it. Of course, I welcome any and all feedback. You can email me at thedshowpod at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W-P-O-D, thedshowpod at gmail.com. Email me. Let me know what you think. Give me some feedback. How should I change things? What should I watch next? Anything and everything. I want to hear it. Also, if you're listening, please give my my podcast a follow on Spotify. That does help me. And if you could, hey, share it to somebody who watches one of these shows. That would be a big help as well. I'm also on Instagram. That's at The Darius Show. It's just The Darius Show. If you look up Darius, you're going to find it. Darius Show, you'll find it. There I am. Follow me on Instagram. Like my posts. Repost when I post. That would mean the world to me. And I'm also on TikTok. Yes, everything. I'm on TikTok. It's at The Darius Show as well. Uh, I haven't started posting on TikTok yet. That being said, I have a couple videos in the works already that are going to be dropping soon. And I'm going to be making a big uh, TikTok impression as well. So check me out there. I'd appreciate the support if you don't mind. And of course, thank you for listening as always. This has been another episode of The Darius Show. And look forward to part five. Look forward to a new episode weekly of The Darius Show at least once a week. And that's about it for me, guys. Thank you. And I love you.